No changes are given. And this is the No Change Given podcast with me, Sophia Herod. It's a podcast all about change. And the guests who join me pave the way for a new and better world. Hello, hello. Well, in this episode, we delve deep into motherhood and I speak to the expert, Gemma Jewell. We delve into toxic relationships, coming out of them, sex for the first time as a mother and community and how important it is to build your community as a new mother. A lot of light and shade in this episode. So if you do feel triggered, make sure you reach out to Gemma or various groups you can find online. I'm here with Gemma Jewell, who I know personally He's a very good friend of mine from um, my Reiki days, but also she's here to talk to me about Mother's Circle and you have so many amazing things on your Instagram. I can't wait to hear what it's all about and what you do. So Gemma, introduce yourself for me, please. Hello, I am Gemma. I'm a mother of three children. Um, I'm a daughter, granddaughter, a sister. Um, and yeah, I'm just really happy. I'm really happy you're here as well. So tell us as well. So how old are your kids? So they are now, I'm similar to you. I had my first child when I was 21. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. And I forgot that about, I forgot that we had that young mother connection. Yeah. Um, so my children now are 19, 23 and 24. Wow. And, and I'm 46 now. So how was it having kids young for you? Was it, we'll go straight in. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, let's do it. Um, do you know, I think at the time it was, I almost didn't really think about it. Um, you know, it <laughs> with love, none of them were planned. They, they all just came along when they came along. Um, and I think when you're, you know, 21, 22, you just kind of, do it and get on with it. And at that time, I was in a in a loving relationship that I thought would last forever and ever. Um, and it was like, oh, we're having a baby. Oh, okay, let's have this baby. So even though you know my friends were all off doing their young twenty things and they were out and they were working or traveling and partying and having fun, and I was at home you know, changing nappies and feeding babies and, and hanging out with, with women much older than me because, you know, I naturally gravitated to spaces where other women were having babies. So the friends that I was making who were at a similar life stage to me were much older and the friends who, who were at a similar age to me were at a very different life stage from me. Um, so that was kind of interesting to navigate that. But I don't know. I don't know how you found it, but I had so much energy in my 20s. I had the energy to have small babies and not really sleep. And my eldest two are only 15 months apart. So, you know, when my when my first daughter was six months old, then I was pregnant with my second daughter. But it, you know, just did it. Just got on with it, really. Yeah, I felt the same. I almost felt like I was more ready than I feel that I should have been looking back in a way it just sort of there's this natural instinct that just came out and I didn't feel like I was missing out I was almost more happy to stay in and and be a mother and not really do anything else to be honest with you and making friends with older women like you said as well um then I I sort of am now now I'm like oh I'm in my 30s okay now I'm gonna have a little bit of me time I'm gonna 
you know, I'm going to go out with friends and I'm going to do, I think maybe lockdown actually sparked that inside me because I was in for two years, weren't we? We were mm. all in for two years and just being a mother. And I was like, oh, maybe I should make the most of going out now when I get the chance to. Um, and we obviously did during, I mean, I know Gemma, I mentioned it earlier, but from this Reiki course with Louise Karen Harris that we did, um, and I did my Reiki masters with you. Um, and I think that sort of taught me how to awaken something inside me that had been sort of put to sleep for a long time, which was myself, really. Um, because you kind of put that to side, don't you, when you first become a mother? Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think that's proper. And I think that's correct to to put that to one side when you first become a mother, because everything changes. Um, you know, everything in who you are and who you become changes and your and your entire focus changes onto this little baby, this little human who is who is entirely dependent on you and and that's okay. You know, that's right. That's that's how it should be. Um and I think I think perhaps where it's been, and we can talk a bit more about this in a bit, but but I think the, the piece that's been missing is that actually as a mother does that and naturally starts tending to her baby and kind of puts herself not down I don't mean like puts herself down as in beats herself up, but you know, you put your your own self to one side for a for a moment in time so you can focus on this new connection with your child. Um what what was perhaps missing for me um is is the kind of the community that comes around you in order to facilitate you being able to do that. Um so I definitely remember um I I did have support. In fact, when I had my first daughter, moved into my grandma's house, me and my partner at the time, we didn't have anywhere to live because he was finishing university. I had stopped university. Um, we had nowhere to live. So we, I moved into my mum and dad's house for a little bit, and then we actually moved into my grandma's house. So for the first five weeks, I think, it was actually really beautiful because there was me with my baby in my grandma's house and my mum was down the road. So for those first five weeks, my mum came around quite often and there were four generations of us um, all together, which was lovely. Um, and But then after that, then we moved out into a flat. We moved to Reading for a, for a bit. Um, and that was really challenging because I didn't know anybody in Reading. Um, I had no friends there, no support network. And actually I did fall into a bit of a slump then and there was a point where where I started realizing actually I was getting her ready to go to bed at four o'clock in the afternoon just so that I could sit on the sofa and I would like fully do the whole bedtime routine put her to bed at four in the afternoon and then just sit on the sofa and stare at the wall for a bit because I was just in a bit of a daze like what is this what's going on um and and I didn't really reach out for support at that point. I didn't. I didn't call in on on the people who I could have called on mm. um, because I didn't fully understand what was going on. And I look back at it now, and I think that's really a shame that I couldn't have called in support. But at the time, I don't think I really recognised what was happening. I just sort of bounced my way through it a bit. I think. So you did, it's not that you didn't feel like you could reach out. It was that you just didn't really understand what was happening at the time. I think so. Mm. I think so. And also, I mean, it's 
25 years ago nearly so it's hard to kind of fully access that memory but I think as well there was probably a little bit of shame around me you know everybody else knows what they're doing everyone else I know who's got a baby is a proper grown-up and they know what they're doing everyone else who's my age is out having fun on their own no one else to look after and they know what they're doing so I think there was probably a part of me also going how come I don't know what I'm doing how come everybody else it's that classic thing isn't it everyone else knows what they're doing and I don't um so yeah I think I think maybe there was part of me that thought if I reach out and ask for support people might just tell me that well you shouldn't have had a baby then should you Mm, I really resonate with that because um when I was younger I, I had older friends and things and they always looked like they knew what they were doing but the funny thing is no one knows what they're doing when they're a new mother do they no absolutely and but we don't know this we don't necessarily have those conversations Mm. you know you you kind of have the assumption that everyone else does know what they're doing and everyone else is reading the right books and everyone else is getting the right support and everyone else's partner is is supporting them exactly in the way they want to be supported and everyone else has has got their stuff together (laughs) and I don't and how come it's falling apart inside my house but when I come around to your house, it's clean and it's tidy and you've got food in and, and your baby's wearing clean clothes. And But if you came around to my house, it would be a mess. And then I remember thinking, oh, yeah, but before I invite anyone around to my house, what do I do? I run around cleaning and tidying and I quickly go to the shop and I get food in. And I, and I, and I put on this display of having all my stuff <laughs> together too. And, yeah, so, so I think, as you know, the older I got and the older I get, the more I come to realize actually when we can live more in our authenticity and when we can be more real about who we actually are and what it actually looks like to live inside our houses and inside our families. And the more we can have real conversations and authentic conversations where we go, Hey, guess what? Me too. (laughs) Actually it helps. And it's so much refreshing when you do go to someone's house and they've not done their, you know, they've not put their washing away. It's just out. And they're like, oh, sorry, it's a bit messy. And the the breakfast is still on the table. It's such a nice thing, isn't it? Yes. And in fact, I had a friend come to stay on Thursday evening and we're we're similar ages. She's a bit younger than me, but we're we're at completely different mothering stages. So we're all minor adults. Her three are all still quite tiny, seven and six and nearly two or seven and five and nearly two but that you know we're at opposite ends of the mothering um scale and and I texted her before she came around on Thursday and I said just to let you know I've had a crazy busy week the house is in chaos um but I'm going to be brave because I love you and I'm not going to tidy um and she texts me back just two words that made my heart just melt she just texted thank you oh <laughs> And it was so lovely and so refreshing. Mm. And yeah, you know, that's beautiful. That actually like makes me a bit emotional. Just <laughs> right. And I saw that response from her. And and you know, she's she's another Louise Karen Harris Reiki master. So so there's definitely something to be said for having having done that kind of work, like work on yourself and personal work on yourself. But. But just that receiving those two words 
yeah it did the same for me it just melted me a little bit so what do you think women in the position that you were in when you weren't quite aware of what was going on but something wasn't right for you when you weren't sort of able to reach out for help what what do you think people could do to try and sort of make themselves come back into a a healthy mental space that's a great question I think I suppose with so many things like this step one is acknowledging it isn't it you know to acknowledge to yourself actually I don't think everything is okay everything's not quite where I want it to be and I'm not feeling fully all right so in acknowledging that to yourself and and accepting that in yourself um you know self-acceptance and self-love and self-worth and all these words are kind of bandied around and and it's taken me quite a long time to fully understand what they mean but in order to accept ourselves we have to be able to get to a point where we go i'm I'm okay with that. I don't I don't feel great right now, but that's okay. Um, I don't know what I need right now, and that's okay. I know that, you know, it can be really difficult, especially when you're a new mother, it can be really difficult to find the time and the space to nurture yourself and take time for yourself and love yourself. You know, it can be really challenging to to do that and to find that but I think step one is acknowledge it acknowledge that you need the support you need some some connection some space some time and then step two like we all have even even in our darkest quietest like most uncomfortable moments we all have people who we know we can go to even if it feels uncomfortable, even if we're not fully sure how we're going to be received. I think everybody has someone that they can turn to and just reach out a, like a little baby step, a little tentative reach out. And and I've, I've certainly found those have been my, my saving places and my saving graces and some of the hardest, hardest things I've ever had to do is reach out and ask for help. Um, there have been periods in my life when that has felt almost impossible. But then, you know, the other thing that I've noticed is there will often be people in your life who will notice mm-hmm. and who will reach out to you and say, you okay? I haven't heard from you for a while. What's going on? Um, and then the bravest thing that you can do to that is to respond with a, actually, thanks. No, I'm not great. Can we have a chat? rather than, yeah, yeah, no, I'm fine. Everything's okay. Mm, It's so easy to do that, isn't it? So easy just to say, yep, fine. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, really easy. And, you know, sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we also need a moment with ourselves, inside ourselves, to sit by ourselves, with ourselves, and reflect on not being okay. You know, I, for a long time, have had a habit of not reaching out for help because sometimes I need to just go into my own quiet space within and reflect and process um, and journal. I really love journaling that to me. I'm quite an external processor. So if I can externally process through my pen, um, that can be really helpful so that then I can go to somebody else and say, okay, I know what it is I need to say now. 
I know how it is I feel now because I've worked on it inside myself first mm. um, so that that can also sometimes be helpful but the other thing I think that's also really important to remember is like when was the last time somebody came to you and asked for support and asked for help and you told them to bugger off you know never <laughs> exactly so always say yes right yeah. and I think it you know I think that's a really important thing to remember when it's when it's our turn to to receive support. There are there are people out there who will gladly give it, you know, and this is the other thing as mothers, right? We are we're set up to give. We're in a giving space. And again, you know, that's another thing that's really proper when we become mothers, when we have babies, we are we're geared towards giving you know, and, and that's the work. And that's, that's as it should be. That's in right relationship to be giving to your child and giving your, you give your body, you give your life force, you give yourself and that's correct. Um, but I think the, the trouble sometimes and society, our Western culture doesn't help this either is that we then can fall into this trap where we feel like we have to just be giving and giving and giving all the time. And we forget about the receiving part of it. You know, we forget that actually it's important for us to also be in a place of receiving. And that can be really challenging, I think, for mothers to to recognize that it's okay for them. You know, we can't just give. Receiving is really important. Um, it's like the, the whole pouring for an empty cup I really do agree. And it's funny how you say that because my mum was definitely always a support and my my sisters as well, just people who I could call on, but without sort of having them to call on almost most days, to be honest, during these early stages of being a mother. um, Well, it was every day, at least multiple times a day, actually, probably. um, I think I would have found it really tough, especially kind of feeling like I hadn't sort of made a connection in the area that I was in a new space like you a new place that I was living in um and you're so tired you almost don't want to go out you want to be around people that make you feel comfortable you feel like you're trying to prove yourself like this is who I am uh, at the beginning of meeting new people but you're just so exhausted that you feel like you can't really do that in those early stages so it's hard to make a connection with people in a way that you have done before, I think, as as a mother in those early stages. So, yeah, I think it takes a lot of time. But also going back to your journey, you've been very open about the relationship you had with your partner at the time and how that kind of impacted you as a mother as well, I suppose. Do you mind just telling us all about how that was for you? Sure. So... My partner and I, my ex-husband and I, um, we met in our early 20s. Um, We met at work, like the student job that we were working at. Um, We very quickly got together. We were very um, quick, close companions. Um, And then very quickly into our relationship, um, I became pregnant with our eldest. um, And then... When she was six months old, along came the second one. And then when she was, the second one was three, I think three and a bit, along came the third one. So 
by the time I was 26, we had three daughters together. So, you know, we're in our mid-20s and we're living this kind of very grown-up life. You know, we had a mortgage. Um, he had, um, you know, a good job, earning a good salary. So we were very much living a life that, you know, not many of our peers were living in in that age and stage. We then moved to Switzerland for a few years, which was incredible. And actually, it was funny when you were saying before about, you know, the age that you're at now starting to feel like you're kind of coming out of the early motherhood bit and going, oh, okay, here's life again. I want to go out. I want to be involved in life. That really happened for me in Switzerland. So we we got married just before we went to Switzerland. I think I was 28 when we got married. Um, and, and then we went off to Switzerland. So my kind of late 20s, early 30s, suddenly living in Basel around all these um, young people, vibrant people, people our age, we're in a city or on the outskirts of a city. There's a social life. Um, you know, the kids were all old enough that they could be left with a babysitter. So that was my point of going, oh, here I am again. Like, I can go out, I can have fun. This is great. That was a really fun few years. And then my dad got sick. Very, very gratefully, my husband managed to relocate us back to England, which we're forever grateful for, mm-hmm. because we moved back to England um, in the April and then my dad died in November. So... That was really a difficult time. You know, he had cancer. His his death was not pleasant at all. Those six months were really challenging. Um, and already at that point, I started realizing that the my relationship wasn't great. Um, then my dad died, and then and we moved back to my hometown, which was a place that I never particularly wanted to move back to again. Um, It's a beautiful town in Oxfordshire. Um, Objectively, it's a really lovely place to live, but I had, I'd already grown up there. I'd already been to school there. I'd already left there and like gone off into the big wide world. And I had absolutely no intention of moving back there again, but moved back there we did. Um, And, and it was, it was bumpy being back there um and what was really interesting is that the kind of the few years that we lived there together things really started to unravel between us his behavior got worse and worse and harder and harder to live with um and I started to realize and I actually I'm actually grateful to my hometown for this in the end because what I realized was that as I was walking around these streets that I grew up in and, and thinking to myself, you know, God, what happened? How did this happen? How have I gone from this, this 18, 19 year old who was like ready to go off and explore the world and go and have this adventure and go to university in London and go and do all these things. And suddenly I'm back here in my mid thirties and I'm, and I'm this quiet, broken, confused person living this, this very suppressed life and and how did that happen? How did this person become that person? Um, and, And it became apparent to me that actually what was happening is that 
relationship that I was in was really abusive. And the, the cycle that we were going around was very much an abusive cycle. And one of one of my friends, so when I when I had my first daughter when I was 21, I went to um, like antenatal classes and walked into this room full of pregnant women um, as a 21-year-old. And I really gravitated towards a couple of women in that class who I'm still really good friends with now, you know, 25 years later. And, and we're still really close and we meet up often. And one of those women um, at this particular point in my life, I met up with her at the pub and I said, look, I'm, I'm really coming to understand all of these things. This is what his behavior is like. This is what's happening inside my house. This is how it's going for me and my children. And she looked at me and she said, and I just said to her, I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. And she said, actually, Gemma, it's really simple. I felt like saying to her, like, what are you talking about? It's not simple. This is so confusing. And she said, it's really simple. Now that you know all of this, either you can live with it or you can't. And I just went like, whoa, okay. It actually really is that simple. And the minute she handed me that like truth bomb, I realized that I couldn't, I couldn't live with it. I couldn't stay living with it. I couldn't allow my three daughters to stay living in that environment. And actually, I couldn't allow my husband to continue behaving in that way. That wasn't good for him either. You know, this cycle of behavior that he was in was really toxic for him, just as it was toxic for me and for all three of our children. Um, and so I, I had to leave. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done, including sitting beside my dad as he took his final breaths leaving my husband was harder and um, going, you know, breaking up my family was harder because nobody goes into a relationship or into a marriage wanting it to end. You know, you don't have children with someone hoping that one day you'll get divorced. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. That's not, that's not, that's not our dream when we're little. Um, but yeah, it became really clear to me that it was it was important for all of us that I walked away. And and so I did. Um, and it was very painful and quite scary. And it was a very big process. And then three years after that, two and a half, three years after that, um, my children had still been seeing their dad and still been spending kind of weekends and, and stuff with him. And then they got to a point where actually his behavior, which had settled for a while, kind of ramped up again. And so they asked me, they had a really challenging summer with him. And they said, actually, can we just have a month off? Can we just not see him next month? Because that was a lot we need to process, we need to settle. Mm. So I had to send him an email. And that one month has now turned into seven years. I haven't seen him or really had very much to do with him in those past seven years. And it's been a lot it's been extremely challenging for all of us um you know between the three of them we've we've managed lots of um mental health issues um i had a breakdown actually after they stopped seeing him um i'm a teacher and and i was teaching in a primary school at the time and i was signed off work for five months after they stopped seeing him because i was so scared to go back into a classroom and 
and hold little children. I was really worried that I might do something to damage these children because I just it wasn't it really wasn't okay. Mm. So I was signed off work for five months. Um, they have dealt with all sorts of levels of anxiety and depression. Um, there's lots of neurodivergence between the three of them as well, ADHD and autism and dyslexia and dyspraxia. And, um, so, yeah, we've, we've had a lot. We've had a lot, a lot to deal with, not least of which my eldest daughter um, moved abroad during all of this as well. So, you know, she was not quite 16 when she left England. So that was also a massive challenge. So, yeah, my mothering journey has not been a straightforward one. You know, um, the last few years I've been doing it literally on my own. You know, there was there was that kind of overlap time where we co-parented. But even the co-parenting stage when you're co-parenting with somebody who is who is a toxic parent, that's extremely difficult. That's extremely challenging to try and manage that. It was always really important to me not to hand any of these words to my children. Like I didn't use any of those words when we separated because I felt really strongly that that wasn't appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still their dad. And just because he was behaving towards me in that way didn't mean he was behaving towards them in that way. And so I didn't want to put any of that influence onto them um, as it as it turned out a few years later when their story started to come out I realized that actually this protective barrier that I thought I had been between his behavior and them that actually wasn't the case and and he was behaving in unhealthy ways towards them as well so it's been it's been a lot and there's been there's been a lot of challenges there's been a lot to unpick um you know financially it's had that had huge financial implications on me as well um mentally emotionally it's it's all had a really big impact and i think you know for me that kind of breakdown break apart point which was really sort of my late 20s early 40s that's when i found energy work that's when I found um you know Reiki and community and really started to do the personal development work which has absolutely transformed who I am how I am how I can show up in the world my levels of confidence my levels of belief in myself my levels of understanding who I am and what I've been through um that's been really transformative for me and it's such an important thing to hear this story because it it really aligns with what you're doing now like you said finding the strength to go and do the energy work after everything that happened to you it's huge like how did you find that strength I think I think it was when my children decided that they they didn't want to see their dad for that month and then they started telling me actually what their reality had been like inside our marriage and what their reality had been like for the last few years. And it became apparent to me that this, this idea I'd had that I'd been protecting them wasn't as accurate as I had hoped. And I really started to understand the impact that our relationship had had. And, and I say our relationship because I played a part in that too. 
you know, I I don't really like the word victim and abuser. Um, and I, whilst I would never say that it was my fault that that happened, I can also see now how I how I allowed it to continue happening right up until the point where I had to make it stop happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I I became complicit in it because it, it that was all I knew. That was all I knew how to do. I felt um, weirdly safe inside that toxic environment. And so I allowed it to continue because I was unable to make it stop um, until I was so kind of detached and dissociated from my life that I could look at it and go, oh my God, what is this? What is happening? And from that point, then I could could leave. Yeah. So when so when it when I got to this this kind of breakdown point where I had to be signed off work, um, I kind of very quickly realized that I I really had two options. I could either sit and feel broken and feel like a victim and and fall into a pit of poor me poor me this is awful this awful thing has happened to me this awful thing has happened to my children isn't it terrible isn't my life awful this is too hard and too much or I could choose to say whoa this awful thing has happened to me and my children and so now what so what am I going to do about it I I refused to stay stuck and stay in this broken victim place it's that that just wasn't in me to to want to do I didn't want to become a, identified in a victim state I wanted to do everything I could to understand what had happened to me so I went on two really incredible um, domestic abuse courses and I was really fortunate at the time they were run by um by the, the local council so I didn't have to pay for them and you know, access to services like that is a whole other conversation. Um, but I was really fortunate that I could access those services at the time. So I did uh, two courses, one to understand kind of the different mindsets and the different ways that toxic and abusive people um, interact with you. And then the other one was called the recovery toolkit. And it was all about how to start building a relationship with yourself back again. And they were both women's circles um, only women were allowed in these spaces, and and they were both just incredibly instrumental in helping me begin to rebuild a connection with myself and to understand that that was a really important thing to do, and that the only way out of this situation was through it. You know, just dive right into the middle of of all of it, and then that's where you'll come through the other side as a much more whole and complete person. So so that was really the start of me realizing that that the, the best way to recover and to begin to feel empowered and whole was not only to go, so I suppose three things. Firstly, to get the information that I needed so I could make mental sense of it. Secondly, to get the support I needed around me so that I could feel emotionally held. And third, to really go within and connect to myself, my inner self, and then also my kind of outer and higher self to get the 
like spiritual support that I needed. And those three things, those three pillars have really been the things that I have held on to over the last few years. And each one, as I, as I look at them individually and then bring them together collectively as well, each of those has really become like a, a grounding of, of who I am now and how I can show up in the world for myself, for my children, and, and now hopefully for my community. Thank you so much for sharing all of that because there may be someone who's listening and thinking, how do I start working on myself from a very difficult situation? And I think, you know, it's so empowering to hear your story. So I really, really appreciate you sharing that with us. Thank you. Just quickly, my mum said to me, just just at that moment in my life when everything was too much and it all felt too confusing and too big and I didn't know where to start. I knew I wanted to feel better, but I didn't know how to start or where to start. And my mum said to me, how do you eat an elephant? And I remember thinking, like, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm vegetarian, I don't eat meat, and I love elephants. I don't want to eat one. <laughs> um, and I just looked at her really confused, and she smiled and said, one bite at a time. And I was like, ah, oh, okay. It's the, it's the how do you climb a mountain metaphor, one step at a time. You know, it, it almost doesn't matter where you start. It just matters that you start. Um, and I remember also watching an, a little Oprah Winfrey clip around the same kind of time um, where she said that one of the most important questions to her became, what is the next best thing for me to do? And sometimes when our lives are so chaotic and there's too much going on and we, we literally can't figure out where to go next, just to even take a couple of moments with yourself to sit and close your eyes and just go and kind of listen for that little quiet voice inside and say to yourself, okay, with all of this that's going on in my life right now, what is the next best thing for me to do, the next right move for me to make? And and it's fascinating how often even just allowing yourself a couple of breaths to sit with that, this little voice will bubble up and it will say, you know, make a cup of tea and sit on the sofa for a minute or actually go and ring that friend or open the window and just breathe in some air. You know, and it doesn't matter how tiny that next step is, or maybe it's to send an email to somebody. Maybe it's to, you know, maybe it's a bigger thing. Maybe it's just to go and wash your hair because you've forgotten to do it for the last week. Um, it doesn't matter the size of the next step. It doesn't matter how random that next step might seem to you. What matters is, is that you take it. That's the most important thing because by taking each of those little tiny steps as they appear, that's how we then begin to change the trajectory of what's happening. And is that what the Mother Circle is all about? I think I think it's a big part of what Mother Circle is about, is about being able to, yeah, those those three things. Mother Circle will, will give you lots of information, information that you may not have known before, information that you may have known but forgotten, or information that, actually is is just present in your DNA and in your 
genetic makeup and history that you haven't accessed before, like like wisdom, proper wisdom. It also gives you community. You know, it, it, it brings you into a space of emotional connection to other women who are either at a similar life stage or have been at a similar life stage or will be at a similar life stage because Mother Circle really is for anyone who is a mother, who wants to become a mother or who works with mothers and um, for anyone who is who believes in, in the idea that we need to rebuild a mother culture in society. Um, and it also gives you the third thing, which is that that chance to and time to be with yourself and have some inner reflection on who am I as a mother? What does mothering mean to me? What have I lost as I've become a mother? What have I gained as I've become a mother? Um, so, yeah, it's really, it's, it's really interesting to me how those three things that I realized I needed actually are all present and available inside Mother Circle. And I think that's why I connected with it so strongly when I found out about Mother Circle and when I found out that they were running the facilitation training. For me, it was an immediate yes. It was an absolute no-brainer. Um, I felt so strongly in my bones that this is this is something that that women need. It's a space that, that women women really need. Yeah, because we, I mean, we used to have a tribe, didn't we? We used to have a whole host of women who would just stick together and help look after the babies. And that's sort of what we're used to. Then in this society with technology and things, you almost feel a bit isolated. And I think that can really affect your your mental well-being um, and your overall health in general, to be honest. So do you think that being in a mother's circle can actually help to sort of stabilise and enhance your mental health and well-being? Yeah, I absolutely do. And what's so fascinating is, so the lady who is is kind of the brains behind behind it all. So the lady who's developed it, Kimberly Ann Johnson. Um, she's a fascinating woman. I've only recently, I don't know how I've only recently come across her because I feel like she's a woman who I ought to have known about or come across a long time ago. She does really fascinating work. Um but she's she spent quite a lot of her life um, living inside different communities and societies around the globe. And so she's really got this kind of global overview of different cultures and different ways of doing things. And it's, that's part of what she brings together um, through Mother Circle is this understanding that actually in lots of different parts of the world, this wisdom is still held and this wisdom is still passed on. So, for example, in one of the one of the classes, we learn about um, what does a mother's body actually require in first kind of 40, 42 days, that kind of six week postpartum, really intense period of time. What does a mother's body require, regardless of um, location, age, race, culture, like just what does a human female body require after it's just given birth um and it's it's fascinating you know these these universal needs of an extended 
period of rest. You know, we actually need to be out of gravity as much as possible and not doing anything as much as possible for six weeks, not just as if we've had um, a cesarean delivery, but however we've delivered our children, actually it's really important to be restful for six weeks. It's really important to be fed really nourishing food during that time, you know, food that's really rich in collagen and rich in minerals and really dense and and to have that food made for us and brought to us. Um, it's really important to, to receive loving touch, you know, to have other people put their hands on us and touch us and hold us gently and with tenderness whilst we're tending to our baby. That's really important. And in some places in the world, you get a massage every day when you've just had a baby. People will come because emotionally that's it's really important but physically it really helps your physical body re rebalance itself and, and and put itself back into place so that still happens in some parts of you know can you imagine if 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 you received a massage every single day after you had a baby like how blissful would that be we think of a massage as like a really rare treat mm. That's just body work. That's just helping you tend to your body. Um, women also require the presence of wise women. You know, that that time, that kind of acute six-week postpartum time, we need to be surrounded by women who have done this before or women who can hold that space for us and guide us through it. That's really important. And, and the other thing, the fifth thing that we all need is connection with nature you know we've we've so lost our connection to the the pace of nature the the gentleness of nature you know we are we're human beings we're animals we're in animal bodies and we are part of nature but we're we're often very disconnected from it and so actually to be able to take a woman who's just had a baby and remind her that that it just does take this long for a seed to grow and turn into a plant and a flower. It just does take this long for rice to boil on the stove before we can eat our food. It just does take this long for the sun to come up and pass through the sky in a day or for the moon to go through its whole cycle of phases. That just is how long nature takes. And, and that can be a really beautiful thing to to remind a woman that, you know, she doesn't have to and actually ought not to get straight back to the gym and straight back into her tiny pre-baby clothes and straight back into all of these things that, that that's not necessary and it's not natural. Six weeks is not very long. You're going to be inside your mother body for the rest of your life. And actually by by taking the time at the beginning to really tend to it and care for it and to understand that that this is this is nature this is a natural process and it's okay to give it time and give it space and give it the things that it needs now in order to to then be able to live and function in a body that that really can continue to work beautifully for you gosh that actually 
brought a tear to my eye <laughs> because in our day and age we're just thrown images of people look how fast they've got back into shape look and to just liken ourselves to the sun and the moon and nature it's just that you're right this is just how long it takes and that's just such a beautiful image to have and to not put pressure on ourselves because you wouldn't put pressure on the sun rising would you you no yeah that's no. I love that image yeah it. it's 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 really powerful and a lot a lot of the a lot of the information and the wisdom and the learnings inside most so so mother circle is eight eight different classes eight distinct um kind of areas that that follow through the arc of motherhood and it's really it's really interesting to me you know it's it's nearly 20 years since i had my last baby and yet i'm still finding all of the information and everything i'm learning really relevant and even though you know it's way too long ago for me to to kind of go oh okay i need to spend six weeks giving myself these five needs you know it's 20 years since i had a baby actually those five universal needs i can still apply to my life now you know and and everything that i'm learning is still relevant to me today so whilst i massively wish that i could have gone into a space like this when i was pregnant or when i just had children that would have that would have been incredible i'm still getting so much benefit from it now because it it's starting to do exactly that it's making me see the connection between all these things and go yeah what what is that about how have we got ourselves to a point where it's almost like a competition who can who can get their pre-baby body back like like why are we doing that you're going to be the best grandma <laughs> like you're going to know <laughs> your kids are going to be like mom <laughs> i'm here i've got you food and i'm going to give you a massage today <laughs> it's like the dream. <laughs> it's brilliant i love it so another thing that obviously you mentioned there's six different um and we can delve into those as well but one of them that i i saw you mention on instagram is sex as a mother and I think I commented on your post, didn't I? I was like, that's such an important topic because you often see women slated in the media for posting a sexual photo of themselves or, you know, um, you know, talking about sex as a mother, but it's it doesn't end when you become a mother. How do they think, how, you know, how do people think that you made these babies? <laughs> there is sex involved. So like how, yeah, like let's talk about that and how you address that sort of topic within the mother's circle it's yeah it's such an important topic and it's so it's so nuanced and within mother circle it's approached so it's it's in the class it's called mother lover and it's the sixth class out of eight so by the time we get to mother lover we've already had five sessions together so the women in the circle already are beginning to know each other quite well we've already gone through um, lots of moments together, lots of conversation together, lots of, of different phases and ways of connecting by the time we get to mother lover. Um, because it's true, we, you know, no matter what age you are, when you have your first baby, your relationship to your body and your relationship to sex and sexual intimacy and sexual contact changes after you become a mother. You know, your body is, is not the same your 
your way of wanting to receive is not the same. You know, you're physically, your anatomy has changed. And depending on how you've given birth, you know, all sorts of things could have happened. I had a really traumatic birth with my first child and I had to have an episiotomy and I lost an awful lot of blood and I very nearly died. And, and it was extremely tender. I remember one of the best presents my mum ever bought me was a little rubber ring. After I had my eldest daughter, she bought me this rubber ring because it was all I could sit on because my entire like vulva was, was swollen and in pain. And, um, you know, I, I felt like I was a mess and, and it was very difficult for me to kind of reconnect to that part of my body afterwards. Um, and it's, again, it's really common for lots of women. You know, we've, we've just given birth to a baby and, and how do we, how do we then go back to being a sexual partner? You know, there's, there's so much information out in the world, you know, as, as new mothers, we're, we're touched out or we're, you know, we just want kids that like everyone just wants something from me and this baby just hanging off my boob and now this toddler is just hanging off my arms and, you know, my body's not my own anymore and now my partner wants this from me and like, oh, I don't want any of this stuff. And But we don't hold conversations with each other necessarily about what that looks like and what that feels like. What what does it feel like to to be inside this body now? What does it feel like to receive intimacy? How do I want to receive intimacy? Do I even know? Um, and, you know, for, for some women who are single parents or who are no longer with the partner, the, the father of their child, you know, what does that look like? You know, now I'm inside this mother body, but I'm, I'm trying to be sexually intimate with somebody who didn't know me before, I never saw my body before it was a mother. You know, we're conditioned to think that our, our pre-mother body is, is the ideal. You know, this is what we're all aiming for. We want this young, tight body. But do you know what? Actually, it, it does change necessarily and perfectly. And as it should change through growing a child, it's going to look different. It's going to feel different. And yet we don't necessarily have those conversations about so then what does that mean to us? Do you know something that I learned in the class as well, which I think is fascinating and I think everybody should know. Mm. Did you know that your vulva becomes erect? Just like, no, I had no idea. So it takes a penis 30 seconds to a minute, a couple of minutes to become fully erect. It takes a vulva about half an hour for vulvic tissue to become erect. I didn't even know that that was a thing. I didn't even know that that was possible. So in order to, to really fully enjoy penetrative sex, if that's, if that's like part of your, your sexual relationship, if that's something that you enjoy and want, it's going to take you around half an hour, <clears throat> maybe longer, for your vulvic tissue to be fully erect and ready to receive that penetrative sex. Now, how many of us don't know that? Um, don't give ourselves that time. Think to ourselves, oh no, no, 
it, I, I, you know, oh, it takes me so long. My my partner doesn't really enjoy foreplay, and oh, I wish we should just get on with it, you know. And so you just kind of get on with it, and and then it, it's maybe a bit painful, or it's maybe not quite super comfortable. But never mind, don't worry, it's fine. And not to say that all sex is like that at all, but I know a lot of women who have had sex like that. Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> most women whether it's with the partner they're with now or previous partners. Lucky for me, I actually do have a very good sexual relationship with my husband, but previous partners, I've definitely done that. Like, oh, come on, let's just get on with it. I had no idea. that. So you're never going to receive as much of a good orgasm, I suppose, unless you wait for that moment where you're ready. Very possibly. And then there's also this idea that that the orgasm is the point of sex and that you know that the only reason that we would engage in sexual activity is in order to achieve orgasm or get to a point of orgasm both both parties but that also doesn't necessarily have to be the case that doesn't you know we can engage in sexual intimacy and sexual activity just for the for the sheer pleasure of enjoying that sensation Mm, it doesn't connection. have to last a specific length of time. And often, you know, when we've got little kids, how difficult is it to even find the time to engage in sexual activities and sexual intimacy with our partner? Mm. And there's a little kid that might start crying or might burst into the room or might, you know, so so sometimes I think it's also important to get to get out of our own way and remember that sex doesn't just have to be about getting from A to B, you know, <laughs> getting from... <laughs> you know oh let's have sex okay now we've we've both had an orgasm okay we're done um you know it can also be just about the pleasure of exploring each other's bodies enjoying each other's bodies and 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 gifting yourself the time and the patience to begin to discover what it is that you actually want what will bring you enjoyment and fulfillment as a woman in your new body what what would it feel like to be in a place of receiving something really beautiful it's almost like an experimental phase I suppose isn't it going back to basics and starting all over again yeah yeah Mm. I think it really can be and 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 I think it can be a a challenging conversation to have it can be a thing that women don't necessarily know is a conversation that they can have or even know is a conversation that they you know, is even a possible conversation, is even part of it. Um, is the vulva actually... half an hour, though? Is that is that every single time or is that without foreplay? How do you mean without foreplay? So if you did foreplay, would your vulva then be erect by, like, less in less time than half an hour? That's a very good question. I don't actually know the answer to that. And I wonder if it would depend woman to woman and even instance to instance, like moment to moment, because, you know, I suppose if if you if you look at it from from like a male perspective, you know, there are times when a penis can get very hard very quickly. And there are times when a penis takes longer to reach the same level of erection so i would imagine that it's the same with a vulva i haven't actually done the research into it i, I literally it's so interesting because i literally was in the facilitator training 
former the lover um like it, it's just gone like just a couple of days ago so this information is is also still landing for me i'm still also in the in the place of processing and going wait what <laughs> this happens what um but it would make sense to me that that you know our physical tissue responds in different ways at different times doesn't it um yeah and so so yeah why not sometimes that could happen more quickly um and sometimes it might be more slowly and and you know even this word foreplay you know so i'm an english teacher so foreplay like we're playing before what like why does it need to be for play why can that not just be part of sex you know does that make sense it does make sense that's it's an interesting question that i've not really thought of actually no me either until just now but like yeah. So like the foreword of a book is like the bit before the actual book. So foreplay, what like the bit before the actual set? No, foreplay itself, that is sex. That is that is all part of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the starter of a meal is still part of the meal. <laughs> you know, we're still enjoying the food. We're still at the restaurant. We're still having a nice time. It's not like, oh yeah, let's just get this starter out of the way so I can go on to the main course. You know, it's but again, it's all part of conversation that we don't necessarily hold with each other. And this this is one of the things that I really think is so beautiful about this, this mother circle space and this these eight classes that we go through is that each class is an, an opportunity for us to really explore different specific areas, not necessarily to come out with an answer, but just to come out with with an understanding and with some curiosity and with conversation and with connection. Do you know, um, Kimberly Ann Johnson was also telling us that there was a, a study done. Can't remember. It was one of the big universities in America, but I don't remember which one where the study was to put women in a room together for like an hour. I think they did it over four weeks, put them in a room together for an hour. And all they had to do was talk about sex. So there was no, you know, nobody guiding them through anything, no information, no teachings, no nothing, just here you go in this room together, talk about sex. The results of that little trial were that I can't remember the percentage, but it was a really high percentage of women's sex lives improved. No. And all they did was talk about sex. That was it. You know, we're, as women, we are community-driven connected beings you know we'd like to come together we like to talk to each other we we have sat in circle for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years and shared knowledge and shared wisdom and and shared our conversation and our experiences with each other and and it's only really recently that 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 we've been disconnected from that um and i just think how powerful is that that all we might need to do is sit together for an hour and talk about sex, but actually talk about sex, not just like, oh, I just, you know, actually have conversations about it mm. for our sex lives to improve. You know, that's fascinating to me. Yeah, and you can't beat a friendship that you can talk openly about sex. So I have a friend who has recently left her husband and she is now experiencing sex for the first time in 20-something years with someone new. 
And I mean, the stories that, you know, we're all like hanging on tentacles, like, oh, tell us more, tell us more, because it's just, it's wonderful to hear someone just speaking openly about how it feels for them. And, you know, there's no judgment. It's just pure excitement and happiness for for her in that moment. And I think you're definitely onto something here by by saying, you know, we should talk more about sex because we should. And I don't know why it's such a, I mean, even when I say, the vulva erection I, I almost can't I almost feel like I need to giggle a tiny bit and I, <laughs> I'm trying not to because obviously I'm actually quite open-minded about sex I'm happy to talk about it but it's just the thought of a vulva erection is it's, I know it's, right like, wow. and even even just saying the word vulva is a thing yeah you know where I was even thinking um this morning so so in I don't know if you've looked on my Instagram stories um, but there was a little moment in the facilitator training where, and this is this is another thing that I love so much. So the two, so Kimberly Ann Johnson runs it, and then Jess Connolly, um, they they run it together. So and they're just this beautiful, like I was going to call them a double act. Like they're co-facilitating, and they are. I mean, the the depth of knowledge that these two women hold is just beautiful, and the richness of the content is incredible. But also they're friends and they have fun and they bring this this lightness and and joy to to all of the trainings as well um and so one of the things that they did in our facilitation training was um sent everybody into breakout rooms to just go and brainstorm literally for like two three minutes how many different words for vulva do you know like different ways of saying it and i and i couldn't help myself i had to record a little bit of it i put it on my instagram story because it's it's hilarious you know we there are so many different terms and phrases that we have for our vulvas and yet I was thinking about this earlier like they either make us laugh or they make us kind of grimace a little bit but but most of them feel quite uncomfortable in our mouths and most of them feel quite uncomfortable to say out loud you know vagina and vulva and pussy and yoni and all these words that we use all come with a little bit of a like oh and some women love some and some women hate that and some women prefer another and but but I think so many of us are yet to settle on a word that we're comfortable using and I remember this conversation when my you know I've got three daughters when they were little you know what word am I going to use with them to talk about their bits what am I going to choose how am I going to explain it to them? And I'll never forget holding this conversation with some of my friends. Um, and one of my friends at the time, she had been raised with two boys, two brothers. And in her family, and, she, and it only struck her when she was telling me this, in her family, she was raised to call it her difference. Oh, my gosh. Right? Oh my and we were like, oh. and as she said it, she was like, oh, my God. I was raised, they had penises and I had a difference. It's like, wow. So again, even just that conversation, like what are we calling our vulva to our children? How are our daughters being raised to speak about their own body parts? Um, it's it's fascinating. It's just, it's a fascinating it's conversation so fascinating. to me. Do you know what? I've always taught my children to say vagina, the boys especially, because I wanted them to be, you know, not sort of, not, I mean, I don't know what way they're going to go, but if they were in a heterosexual relationship when they're older, 
they I want them to be open and comfortable with speaking to women about their vaginas so and one of the boys once asked one of the mums that when they were on a play date do you have a vagina (laughs) she was like oh wow you know the big words but you know (laughs) it's just intrigue but it is funny because another thing I remember about not knowing yourself as well as you should I remember I didn't know where you peed from until I gave birth I was like they were like can we put a catheter in and I was like oh yeah that's fine and I was like why are you putting it there and they were like no that's where you <laughs> this is it we're not but we're not taught properly about our own anatomy I remember a friend of mine we were maybe 17 I guess at school and she was on her period and she she said to me she said oh I need to pee, but I don't need to change my tampon. What am I going to do? I was like, what are you talking about? You can do both. It's two separate holes. It's separate places. She was like, what? Wait, what? And I'm like, how do we, how do we not know this? How are we not taught this properly in a way that actually lands and actually makes sense? I was, it was only really recently that I learned that the vagina is only the inside bit. The, the vulva is like, is the whole thing, like all of the pieces. So you're like, how like do you the flat, the, like, not the slit, but the, like the outside bit, is that the vulva? Like, you know, where you... <laughs> so the vulva is the entire thing. So I guess like, like if a vulva was a flower, I hate this. God, in biology, aren't we always talked about it in terms of flower and that. So that's the first thing I go to. So if the, so if the vulva is the flower... Mm-hmm. The flower is the whole thing. The vulva is the whole thing. Okay. And then a flower has petals and a, and a vulva has labia um, and a flower has, you know, a stem and, and a vulva has a vagina. So, so a vagina is a part of the vulva. I, I think, oh I think God. that's, I think that's correct. And again, I may be wrong <clears throat> because I'm only just learning all this stuff myself. Isn't um, it crazy as, as, mothers and women we're only just learning our anatomy yeah what is and the that? correct terminology and the correct labels for it it's but you know there is there's a there's a massive massive movement at the moment um a massive women's health movement and it's so timely and it's so necessary and i think it's so important for women to start claiming back their own health sovereignty and their own understanding of their bodies you know so much so, and again, this is a slightly different conversation, but, um, you know, a lot of the world of health has been explored from a male perspective, you know, and drug trials have been on men and, and a lot of the medical information that we have has been, have been based on male bodies and there hasn't been enough research into how things affect female bodies. And um, even to the point where, you know, when we go for a blood test, it's really important that the doctor asks us what point we're at in our cycle when we have that blood test taken, because our bodies move through um, move through phases throughout our, our menstrual cycle where we may have more blood sugar at one point in our cycle because we need it and less at another point in our cycle because we don't need it. Um, and so when our blood is taken, it can give a very different reading depending on where we're at in our cycle and people don't know this. You know, That's so I think it's fascinating that that we're we're in this kind of this wave of women's health becoming a really 
important thing. Um, and for women to start taking ownership of their health and taking sovereignty over their health and their well-being, I think it's it's fascinating and it's so necessary and so important. Mm. It's even things like the car uh, testing out car seat belts was always tested on men. So women are more likely to have fatal accidents from car crashes than the men because it's based on a male frame. It's just crazy. So the women's circle. So how you're obviously becoming a facilitator now. How can we keep up with you? And how can we keep up with everything that goes on with the women's circle and sort of empower this new movement? So so I have two more facilitator trainings to go. Um, So there's... There's eight classes. We've done um, facilitation training on six of the classes. So there's two more to go. So this week and next week, um, there's one more practice session, um, which is also this week. And then I have to write a paper. It's, you know, it's been so lovely. It's, it's like going back to school again, but in, in the best way. <laughs> you know, I remember when I did my, um, did my master's degree and that just became a real effort. Like, doing all the research and doing all the writing. And and even though I enjoyed the topic, it still was a slog. But this, I'm just loving. I'm so overexcited by everything I'm learning. Um, wow. So we have to write an end paper, which is due by the 7th of July. And then we can submit our application for certification. So Kimberly really wants to make sure that everybody who has been on the facilitation training has you know, has really done the work, you know, she's putting her name to this and her brand behind this. And so everybody, then we then apply to become a facilitator. And if we've passed all the criteria um, and everything is in order, then we receive our facilitation certificate. So I'm hoping that that I should receive mine by the middle of July. Although there are around the world, I think there are about 150, 160 women on this training um, so that's a lot of papers for her to read and get through. So she has said, you know, it may take her a couple of months to to check through all the criteria. So hopefully by middle of July, but it could be towards the end of August, I will have my certification. And then I get to start holding mother circles. Um, now, my my ideal, my, my dream, I'm just going to put it out there because this is what I'm really calling in. My dream would be to be able to have a yurt space in my garden that I can open my garden gate and that women can come into my garden and sit in mother circle together. You know, I really want to bring this in person in my community. That's my dream. So I'm just speaking out loud into the universe. Thank you very much. Um, but, but, but what I would also really love, you know, I, I kind of, I, I see this coming into, into people's communities, either in, in a village hall space, or in a community space, that would be a really beautiful place to hold them. I want to be able to hold them in the daytime because there'll be some mothers who can only come in the daytime, but also in the evening because there will be other mothers who can only come in the evening. So I'm open to holding them at both times. Um, I also have this really lovely vision of bringing it into people's homes. So maybe there are women who already have an established group of friends. doesn't need to be a huge group of people um, but who have a group of friends and they would like to do this journey together with the people that they already know. Um, so I would love to be able to bring it to people's homes as well. Um, 
So I'm very open as I as I kind of start my journey with holding these spaces. I'm very open to suggestion of where people would like to attend these spaces. Um, you know, it's also possible to hold them online. And, and whilst I'm really happy to do that, because I think, you know, I mean, we did Reiki Masters together during lockdown and that necessarily was online. And it's it's still fascinating to me how how rich things can be when you hold them online. When, when women get gathered together, even online, it can still be powerful. Um, but my ideal is to be able to hold them in person. Um, so, yeah, I'm really open to exploring what that looks like. And how that's yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'll be I'll be, you know, sharing more on on social media. Last question, last question. Uh who inspires you? This is what I've been ending all my podcast episodes on. But who inspires you? Genuinely, and I know we've been talking about Mother Circle, but my oh, I might actually get a bit emotional. It's okay, it's a safe space. Here. <laughs> <laughs> um my mum is a massive inspiration to me. You know, she's she's in her early 70s. She she's just like a dynamic, vibrant force. She's um she's an artist. She has so much energy, so much love, so much time. Um and she just has this absolute tenacity, you know, no matter what life throws her way she just gets on with it um with a smile on her face she has always surrounded herself with women you know i i grew up in a house where there were lots of women around all the time or she was on the phone to her female friends she she never struggles through things on her own she always reaches out for support um, she's always there for me and my sister when we've needed her and for our children, you know, she's, she's a grandmother now and she's, um, she's always there for us and for our family. And she, yeah, she is an absolute inspiration to me. She's always made it really clear how important family is um, and family has really fallen at, at the heart of everything and just recently my middle daughter was in hospital um quite suddenly was kind of rushed in to a and e and and suddenly we were in hospital and suddenly there needed to be an operation and it was all a bit like whoa mm. um, and immediately the family came together so immediately my my other two daughters were packing bags and getting them ready and my mum picked it up and brought it over and my sister um who lives quite close to the hospital you know said we'll come and stay so you know my my daughters and then me and my sister and then my mum we just all came together and that's always been a massive inspiration to me so yeah my mummy beautiful <laughs> oh my good mums are just the best aren't they mummies can't beat a mummy that's beautiful no. thank you Gemma well thank mm. you so much for joining me today and um, we're going to catch up with you soon as well again to do a chat about energy and healing and something called Healy. So I'm very excited to catch up with you again. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really lovely.